This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. 13 weeks ago, we started this series and on, on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we know his point was to reinforce to them uh, who they are in Christ. And he does this in the first three out of the six chapters. In the last three chapters, he begins to give them practical application of that truth in their everyday natural life. I mean, you know, we can read the word, but we got to know how to apply it in our lives today. That's what he does in the last three chapters. So we finished the first three, and as we talked about, we received this input of the word that, that the Holy Spirit was giving through Paul. But in that, we have to, now we need wisdom to apply it. And Paul begins to help us out in chapter 4. And so in chapter 4, he begins to give us this practical application. And in chapter 4, we learned a few things. That as, a body, that, that as, a, as individuals, we are the body of Christ in the world, and we are one. That every individual member of the body has been given gifts and callings, and God expects us to step into them, right? God has called us to grow and to walk in maturity. He tells us to put away sin and to walk in righteousness. He tells us that we have the responsibility of putting on our new nature. And he tells us that we must keep continually renewing our minds. And then we finished chapter 4, and then last week, chapter, chapter 5, Pastor Bob jumped into chapter 5, did a, a great job breaking down the first half of the chapter there. And, and we learned things like, how many, how many of you know we're all in process, right? We're all in process. Thank goodness. We don't, we're not, we, not going to be perfect tomorrow. We walk this out, day in, day out, right? We have, uh, he tells us we're to have no part in fornication, uncleanness, filthiness, foolish talking, covetousness. He tells us that we must step out of the darkness and walk in the light. And really, this is kind of the theme of chapter 5, is walking in the light. We cannot fail if we walk in the light. And tells us that we are to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And he left off last week, I believe, with verse 20. And so, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We will be in verse 21. If, uh, if you want to follow along in the YouVersion Bible app, you can do that. The notes will already be there laid out for you. And uh, if you uh, aren't sure how to get to that, you can scan the QR code on the back of the chair in front of you and choose sermon notes, and it will pop right up on your phone, and you can follow right along from there. And so, through chapter 5 up to this point, we're really talking about walking in the light. We're talking about walking in love, right? So, how many of you know the Bible talks about several different types of love? And I, I want to spend the first few minutes before we actually get to the, the scripture here, I want to talk about this for a few minutes. Now, I want to talk about two of those types of love this morning. And the Greek word for these two types of love is agape, which I'm sure you've heard of, and philio. And in chapter 5, it really, in this, it tells us how these types of love operate between us and God. And I, I want to look at that for, for just a couple of minutes. But guys, I, I hope you have this understanding by now that God loves you. And he loves you because it's his nature to love. His love is not based on what you do or do not do, right? Some of y'all are very unsure. His love is based on his nature to love. He is love. God's love 
is aggressive, it pursues, it's always abounding toward us. And we've got to understand this, because even when we mess up, this does not change God's love. A lot of people don't understand that. We mess up and we think suddenly God doesn't love us anymore. It's not true. His love is not based on what we do. He first loved, right? He loved you before you ever sinned the first time. He loved you after you sinned the first time, right? He loved you after you gave your heart to Jesus. He's loved you from beginning to end, right? Do you guys see it? Do you believe it? It's a selfless love. It's selfless because we have nothing to offer, right? He's not doing it to, to get something in return. What do we have to offer a holy God? He loves us. You are lost in sin and unworthy and unfit to be called a child of God. And what did he do? He searched you out, and he found you, and he loved you, and he paid the price for your sin. That, my friends, is unconditional love. That's real love. God's love for you is agape love. God is the aggressor in this relationship. He went first. God pursued us. Agape love is an aggressive love. It's always abounding. God doesn't love you because you serve him. And God doesn't quit loving you because you fail him. He loves you. He loves you even if you utterly reject him. Jesus loves sinners, right? How did you come to him? He loved you first when you were lost in your sin. He loves sinners. And, and a person who's lost in their sin is certainly not doing anything to deserve God's love, are they? But God's love, his agape love, is aggressive. It's always pursuing. It's always producing. It's always abounding. It's never based on the receiver. It's best based on the giver. His agape love, his nature. Now, here's what I want to get to in this. God's agape love is glorified, it's honored in our filio love. Filio love, a lot of people call it a brotherly love. It, you, it's, it's really, filio is a responsive love. It responds. When you respond to God's agape love, that is filio. And through this, God is honored and glorified. God is abounding right now with all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What is it that pleases God? Faith pleases God. Faith is responding to his love. Faith is responding to his grace. And as Jesus loves the church, Jesus loves the church, right? As he loves the church, he is honored and he is glorified when the church responds to his love. Does that make sense? You see it? So, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Guys, God's grace, his love, is appearing right now to all mankind, to all of humanity through the free gift of salvation. The sinner does not and cannot earn or deserve it. Right? God's aggressive love, even, even though we, we can't 
earn it or deserve it. God's aggressive love is still available to us. And when the sinner responds to that agape love through repentance and surrender, God is glorified. You see it? And so, in chapter 5, Paul gives an analogy of this. And this is where he begins to talk about the husband and wife relationship. And I want to look at this for a few minutes and break it down. But I understand that Jesus is honored, honored by the church for his sacrifice and faithfulness, his agape love. In the same way, the husband is commanded to agape love his wife, just like Jesus, right? He is the aggressor in this love. He is the aggressor in this relationship. And as he does that, as he, as he loves her with this, this unconditional agape love, she responds with filial love. What is she responding to? She's responding to his aggressive love. And what does she respond with? She responds with honor. And I'll show you this in just a minute. But God is always aggressing. He is always abounding. And he is honored when we respond to him. He agapes toward us. We filio back. Agape love is glorified in filio responsive love. And interestingly, something else I put down yesterday. Guys, in the Bible, because I know a lot of the ladies are gone at retreat, so I am going to talk a little bit more to the men, the husbands today. In the Bible, a woman is never told to agape love her husband. The love is always filio, responsive love. The man is commanded to agape love, unconditionally love his wife. The woman is commanded to love in response to his agape love. That'll change things a little bit. I'll show you in Titus 2.4, it says, these older, women, the older, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands. The word love that's used here is the word filio. Wives respond in love to their husband's unconditional love. However, as I told you a minute ago, however, whenever a husband is told to love his wife, it is agape. That means, husbands, that we are to love our wives just like Jesus loves the church. We are to love her when she has an attitude toward us. We're to love her when she, we don't think she looks the prettiest today. We're to love her when she, we feel like she doesn't deserve it. We are to unconditionally agape love her. I hear husbands say, well, she just doesn't respect me. If she's going to treat me like that, I'm just giving her more of the same. Well, things will never change. They won't because, husbands, God expects you to go first, just like Jesus did. You love unconditionally, and then she responds in love. And this is, I know a lot of people probably don't like to hear it, but this is what it means as we say to be head of the household. It means you go first. You be the one to give and to sacrifice. And, but, but think about it from the spiritual sense. Think about Think about when you were born again. What kind of love were you expressing to God the day you were born again? Guys, you didn't know how to agape love. You couldn't possibly agape love. It was filio, right? It's how you responded to him. 
You started out loving him because he saved you. You got a revelation of what Jesus did, the finished work of the cross, right? You responded to that love. That's filio, love. And then as the days went on, oh, wow, he answered my prayer. Lord, I love you all the more. It's responsive love. Oh, well, well Lord, you, you supplied my need when I was lacking. I love you all the more. Responsive love. Oh, Lord, in this situation, you saved me. I was in trouble and, and, and you protected me. Responsive love. Y'all see that? And here's the thing, too. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's, where, that's where the love starts. That's okay. God loves it when we filio love him, when we respond to him. As I said, he's glorified in it. But as you grow and mature in him, your love begins to change from being, from being solio, uh, solio, folio, filio, filio, from being solio, filio, from being filio to looking more like agape toward him as you grow and mature in him. You no longer love him just because of what he's done for you or what he's doing for you. You begin to love him because he's your father. You come to a place where you realize that you would love him regardless of whether your prayer was answered. You would love him regardless of whether you saw this promise fulfilled, manifested in your life. That's when filio begins to shift toward agape love. This type of love comes through more knowledge and closeness with him. And this is where Paul begins to talk about, really, it's the same with a husband and wife. Because if you think back, um, if you think back to the day that you were married, you probably thought on that day that you could never possibly love somebody more. And then... Five years went by and 10 years and 25 years. And you look back and you realize that that love you had in the beginning was nothing. Because now you've walked through life, you've walked through trials and joys and, and all these different things together. And your love has grown so much along the way you didn't even realize how much it was growing. You guys agree? You know what I'm saying? As time goes by that you do things God's way, the more you and your spouse will love each other. So the more you get to know the Father, the more your filio love matures into agape love. And we experience this type of intimacy through receiving from his word, hearing his words, talking to him in prayer, being in his presence. And, and understand, too, that we got this new nature. That we, we became a new creation when we surrendered to Jesus. And, and really... His nature became infused with our nature. We got his nature. And, and so we have the ability to agape love the Lord. And we have the ability to agape love the people around us in the world today. We have the ability to love people unconditionally. You can love people the same way that God loves you. Regardless of whether they love you or hate you or pat you on the back or slap you, this should not change your love. Because you have the Father's nature, and you can love them unconditionally. Agape love is based on our Father's nature, not the nature of the people around us. The world can't agape love because agape love is supernatural, guys. It's only found in the family of God. It's only found in our Father. The best the world can offer is filio love, a responsive love. That's why the world says, well, I'll love you if you love me. Well, I'll treat you as good as you treat me. That's worldly. That's filio. 
What happens in that case when one person fails the other? Well, the foundation of the relationship is falling apart, right? Too many marriages crumble because they are, were built on filio love. That's why there's so much divorce. Because we're loving our spouse in a responsive love. I'm responding in love to how they treat me rather than loving them unconditionally. God has promised believers in Ephesians chapter 5 a supernatural marriage. That if we do things his way, it will not fall apart no matter what the world brings, no matter what circumstances come. It's got to be based on God's agape love. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Y'all ready? Let's, let's kick off with the big one here. Ready? Wives, what's it say? Nobody wants to say the word. <laughs> All right, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> I don't know if any men in here need to be saying amen. <laughs> Guys, this is one of the most abused and misused verses in all of Scripture. Mainly because of one word. What's the word? Submit. Now, I encourage you to dig into that and look at it and look at other versions and, and different things like that. Some say wives be subject to it. You can and see different things in there. But the, the submit has become such a word that most people don't even want to use it today. Me, I, I'd rather use some other words that better explain what, what's being said here. Uh, if I'm going to talk about submit, I'm usually talking about submission to the Lord. Um, but the real problem here, the real issue is that people don't understand today the difference between submission and obedience. They are definitely two different things. Submission is an attitude, whereas obedience is an action. A husband that uses this scripture to demand his wife submit is usually actually demanding obedience and compliance. And that's not what submit means. A husband that uses this verse to demand things has generally just declared himself the dictator in the relationship is really what has happened. And uh, remember, this is an analogy and Jesus is never a dictator. A wife is not told to obey. It says here to submit. If the husband demands that the wife stop gathering together with the family of God, what does she do? Obey? No. She respectfully respectfully lovingly declines. Sorry, can't do that. It's not what God's word says. Well, husbands will say, well, isn't that just rebellion? Well, guys, rebellion is not lack of obedience. Rebellion is an unsubmissive attitude towards someone. How many of you know that you can be rebellious and still obey? Right? Come on, guys. You've had a really bad attitude towards somebody at work and still obeyed and kept it down inside, but you had a rebellious attitude and spirit inside. True? We've been there. Now, we are told to always submit to and obey the Lord, right? But what's the difference between husbands and the Lord? The Lord's always right. Husbands, we're not a lot of times. We're wrong, right? 
We mess it up. We're fallible. Romans 13 is clear that we are to be submissive to our government. True? Come on, guys. We're to be submissive to the White House. (laughs) We're to be submissive even then. The disciples were. Absolutely. They were getting hauled in front of crowd, in front of the government and beat. And they never said a negative word to them. They loved them. But they did not obey. They simply kept their attitude right. Does that make sense? They did not obey. They did not comply. But they kept their heart like Jesus. What if our government told us as Christians we're supposed to be in submission to them in Romans chapter 13? Well, if they told us, you know what? Other countries are doing this, guys, are saying, in Europe you'll find this. No proselytizing allowed. No sharing the gospel. No trying to convert somebody to your faith. Sorry, that violates the word of God. I respectfully decline. Well, it's the law. Sorry, I respectfully decline. It violates the word of God, right? We should still be submissive, not rebellious, but not obey the demand. The apostles went through this like crazy. Now, a godly marriage can exist where a husband is humble and does not continually violate God's word in his leadership. Many husbands, that's the problem, guys. Many husbands don't give their wives anything to respect. True? Many Christian husbands don't give their wives anything to respect. Don't give them anything to love, anything to honor. And at that point, how many of you would agree that submission is very difficult? But when a man realizes that his leadership, this this God-given leadership that he has, is simply increased responsibility and accountability... And he does it with all his heart. He gives it his all. I believe a wife can honor that. She can respect that. This puts much responsibility on us as husbands to treat our wives as Jesus does the church. We have to give our wives something to respect. Amen? It is awfully quiet. Next verse, verse 22. Verses 22 through 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, here's the comparison, as also Christ is head of the church and he is savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now again, we've got to be careful how we look at this, remembering that it's an analogy. What does it say? It's comparing the husband-wife relationship to Jesus and us as the church. And it says that he is the head, the savior of the church, the savior of the body. Now, we need to look at that side of the comparison first and see what that means. The word savior there, translated, literally means provider. And it's, it's not talking about just like financial provision. It means provider in everything. Anything and everything. And so as the head, this describes agape love. This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus, what does he do? He provides provides safety and he provides security for us and he provides love and provision and he provides leadership and all these different things to us. 
As the head, Jesus provided when he took responsibility for us. He provided when he paid our debt and made sure that we were completely taken care of. He proved himself trustworthy and faithful. This is a picture of what the husband is supposed to be. Here, the Holy Spirit is really charging the husband and holding him responsible for being the family provider. Now again, the first thing you think of is finances in there. I've seen husbands that think their wives can't make more than them. Oh, come on, guys. That's not what this is saying. It's not what it's saying at all. The husband should provide love and protection and, and finances and understanding and patience and comfort and companionship and security and, yes, even leadership in the home. God is charging the husband with this. He says, I'm holding you responsible, not the wife. He says, sir, I hold you responsible. This is what Jesus provides for us as the church, right? So, just as the church is subject, meaning submissive or honoring unto Christ and the responsibility he has taken on for us, he says, so let wives be to their own husbands as they fill this role, this responsibility that God has given them. By the way, does this mean a woman can't work outside the home? Does this mean that a woman can't provide these same things that a man is providing? Not at all. She's just, not, she's just not responsible for it. She's not commanded by God to provide these things. The man is. The woman can do it as well. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible does not say not to. She can absolutely do that. But God doesn't hold her responsible for it. Holds the man responsible for it. Does this make sense? It's awfully quiet. At the end of the day, God holds the man responsible. Verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Guys, Jesus gave himself for the church, in the, and in the same way, husbands are to give themselves for their wives and for their families in everything. And when you give yourself, you give all that you have, everything that you claim to be your own. It all belongs to your spouse now. It all belongs to your family. Jesus doesn't hold back, does he? He doesn't hoard. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are joint, equal heirs with him. He shares everything with us. In the same way, everything that belongs to the husband belongs to the wife and the family because, like Jesus, he has chosen to lay down his life and even his desires for them. And then it says that Jesus sanctifies, remember it's a comparison, it's an analogy to the, word, to the, to the church. Jesus uh, sanctifies and cleanses her, this is us, his bride, with the washing of water by the word. The, the, the word in the Greek that's translated word is the word rhema, which means spoken word, Right? And so when you were born again, you are cleansed by the word of God. Husbands, we should speak words that edify and encourage and build up our wife and bring out the best in her. And here's the thing. You still going to have tough conversations sometimes? Absolutely. But if you have been an encouragement and you've been edifying her and building her up like you're supposed to, she's going to receive you. And it actually goes the other way as well. 
And I added this yesterday. I was thinking about encouragement. I'm going to be subtle with this, but husbands, sometimes we want some of them special intimate moments with our spouse, right? It starts with encouragement and blessing. If you have not been encouraging and building up your spouse, don't expect her to respond to your advances. It's not going to happen. And if you try to push yourself in there anyway, if you try to make that happen anyhow, she's going to begin to resent you and feel like you're using her. You're to be a blessing and an encouragement to her. And then she responds. By the way, as the bride of Christ, I was thinking this, guys, as the bride of Christ, our encouragement comes from his encouraging words, which is the word of God. So we need to open up the word, and we need to be encouraged as his bride and respond, growing in intimacy toward him. Does that make sense? And then it says that Jesus does all this, that his bride would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we would be holy and without blemish. Husbands, we should be bringing out the best in our spouse every single day. Marriages break down because communication breaks down. Fellowship breaks down because communication is cut off. As, as long as husbands and wives respectfully talk out their issues, their problems, their differences, and keep love as the motivation, all the spots and wrinkles can be worked out. Amen? And we know that the church, as the church, the analogy in this we won't be without spot or blemish completely until we've gone through the judgment seat of Christ. And as Pastor Bob said last week, that's when all the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up and all that will be left is, is the gold and silver and the, and the precious gems. And we'll stand before the Lord as a perfect bride, spirit, soul, and body. Verse 28, it says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife edify, I'm sorry, loves himself. Now, husbands, we love our bodies. That's so weird to say. You may not like the way it looks or the way it feels sometimes, but I'll bet you don't hesitate to give it what it wants. You probably don't hesitate to feed it when that stomach starts growling, right? Hopefully you keep it clean. But the Bible says your wife is just as much a part of your body as your arm or your leg. She's a part of you, and you're a part of her. You became one flesh when you said yes to her in marriage and those covenant vows, just like you became one spirit when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? The same thing we did when we said yes to Jesus. We became one with him. So you as the church are the body of Christ. So looking at this scripture, when Jesus loves you, it also declares he loves himself. And husbands, when you love your wife declares that you love yourself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Husbands, just as you take care of your own body by giving it, giving it food and love, you should take care of your wife in the same manner. It's our job as husbands to make sure that her needs are taken care of. And Guys, I'll go as far as to say this. 
I was thinking this last night. If your wife is struggling with insecurities and if she is not feeling valued, it's your problem. If your wife is not feeling secure and valued, it's your problem as a husband. God has made you responsible for being a provider to her. So when you see these things in her, you see insecurities and things coming to the surface, it should make you stop and say, Lord, what am I missing here? And what do I need to do differently to make sure this need for security in her life is met? You take responsibility and man up and be who God's called you to be. You should love her as much as you love yourself. And, and really this analogy helps us understand the Godhead just a little bit because we struggle with how can God be three individuals yet one in, in the same way, you know, how can a husband and wife be two individuals yet one? But we are, we are separate people, but we have been joined together, right? We have different giftings and callings, but God uses these to strengthen us in our union as one. When we got born again, we became one with Jesus, right? Now, are you Jesus? No, you're not Jesus. I am not Jesus and Jesus is not me. But at the moment of salvation, we were joined as head and limbs of the body, right? We became one. Uh, verses 31 and 32 says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, it starts with saying, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. For this reason is the union of the man and the woman in marriage, becoming one flesh. And, and, and really, if you guys may realize, Ephesians 5.31 is actually comes from, from Genesis chapter 2. And this is the very first teaching that God gives to Adam and Eve. The very first teaching that he gives them. And he uses this, it's this scripture right here. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Which is very interesting because Adam didn't even have a father and mother. Right? I, I was looking at that and thinking it's interesting because in-laws were really told to stay out of the couple's affair before there were ever in-laws. Right? It says, he shall be joined to his wife. And, and, and folks, this, this is a direct reference. This is in the physical. This is a direct reference to sexual intimacy, uh, which for the Christ followers occur only within the marriage covenant. And this is the physical expression of being one flesh. In the same way, you and I, we have communion and intimacy with God because we are one spirit with him. The daily intake of the word of God, his word, his encouragement, and praying is an outward natural expression of our union with him. Does this make sense? And he says this is a great mystery, and, but this doesn't mean we can't understand it. Really, all he's doing here again is showing, look, this is an analogy. I want you to understand. The same way it is between you and your spouse, the same way it is between Jesus and his church. So husbands, here's the question. What if Jesus treated the church the way you treat your spouse? What if you treated, what if Jesus treated the church the way you treat your spouse? Put it in perspective. Look at it. And really, 
If we look at it that way, we've got to look at it the other way. Wives, what if you treated Jesus like you do your husband? I'm not calling your husband a savior. I know he's not. Okay? But it makes you stop and think about where you're at. The Lord set this up as an analogy in the natural to mirror a spiritual truth. Husbands should love their wives just as Jesus loves the church. Wives should have an honoring attitude toward their husbands and his responsibility in the union. And with Christ at the center of it, guys, your marriage can't do anything but succeed when we do it God's way. If you're modeling your marriage after this, there's no demon in hell that can break you up. Can't happen. No circumstance can drive you apart. Divorce will never be an option. When you do things God's way. Verse 33, I believe this is the last one. Yes. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see she respects her husband. So husbands, we got to start loving our wives the way Jesus loves the church. The way Jesus has loved us. We have got to give her that kind of love. And let me tell you that when you do, you will begin to see a difference in her. You will see a change in her attitude and her response to you. You will when you begin to love her unconditionally as Christ loved the church. It'll happen. Then your marriage will begin to prosper, and it'll be a godly example. It'll be a godly example to your children and to your community and to your church and to all those around you. And I want you to remember I just a few more things I want to say to husbands. Guys, we got to remember that our wives are a blessing. They are, your wife is a gift from God in your life. She will never be respected and honored if you try to be the dictator. Don't try to command her around. Don't try to use the word submit. As a matter of fact, you want to use the word submit? Go to the last verse Pastor Bob ended with last week, verse 20. You know how it ends? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are to submit to, respect, and honor one another. Yes, that means us as brothers and sisters and as husband and wife. You are to submit, respect, and honor one another. Husbands, if you don't see your wife as co-equal, like we are with Jesus... If you aren't walking in honor and respect for her, something's wrong, even if you don't see it. Something else I thought of. Guys, your wife knows you like nobody else does, except for the Lord. And I would argue that your wife is the greatest vessel the Lord has given you to hear his voice outside of his word. Too many Christian men don't look at it that way. When is the last time you felt, men, you felt like the Lord was leading you a certain direction? And instead of just telling your wife, here's what the Lord told me, here's where I'm going, and here's what I'm doing. Instead, you said, hey, here's what I feel like the Lord is directing right now. What do you sense him saying? Talk about feeling valued. Every time... I've begun to feel the Lord bring a shift in our family, something changing. I watch for my wife to be the primary confirmation. In the past, I've found that many times when the Lord has begun speaking to me, I'll wait 
And later on, I'll find out that my wife was hearing the same thing before I ever said it, before I ever mentioned it to her. That's confirmation for me. In times when I feel like the Lord is leading a direction and my wife does not feel the same, you know what I do? I stop dead in my tracks. Hold up. We're a union, we're one. The Lord is leading me and directing me. She's not in agreement. Okay. I stop and I, I begin to pray again. Begin to ask the Lord for confirmation and direction. I ask the Lord, Lord, if this is you, I need you to move her heart. I need you to speak to her. I need you to show her. Because if she does not have a peace, if she is not in agreement, if she feels a check inside, 99% of the time, guys, we need to stop. Hold up. Hold everything for a moment. And we need to pray. And we need to seek God some more. You and your wife should be primary counsel in your lives to one another. You should both be vulnerable and transparent, willing to listen and converse with deep love and respect for one another, one another even, when you're in dis- even when you disagree. You should be pulling out the best in one another, drawing out the potential, because hopefully your desire is always God's best in your spouse's life, whether it's your husband or whether it's your wife. And then wives, it ends there and a wife to respect her husband. The word respect, if you look it up, the word respect means honor. Wives, because you honor the Lord Jesus, it says do the same when it comes to your husband. And again, I'm not saying wives are to obey their dictator husbands. If you are, wives, if you're in in an abusive situation, the first thing you need to do is get out. A truly abusive situation. Now, I, I did not just give you the green light to go divorce them. I didn't say that. I said, get out, seek God, get some counsel, figure out what the Lord's will is in the situation and what you need to do. Make some, get some godly people around you to help lead you and guide you, point you in the right direction. Amen? If you're in a truly abusive situation, you need to get out and seek counsel no matter how, how much scripture he quotes at you. If you feel underappreciated and undervalued, you need to be able to express that. And if is, his heart is really right with the Lord, he will hear you and be willing to make some changes. But wives, I encourage you in this to look at your husband and remember what all God has commanded and entrusted unto him. What God is holding him accountable to. He will answer to the Lord for your family. He'll answer to the Lord for your marriage. Even when he's not doing the best job, pray for him. Keep your attitude right. Look at him through the eyes of faith and potential. And come alongside him and help support him in the process. Because this is the God that we serve. This is what the Lord does for us. Amen? That quietest crowd I've seen in a long time. Guys, aren't you glad we are in a relationship with a God that loves us like this? Let's model our lives and our relationships after him. Amen? Let's all stand up. Let me invite the worship team to come up.
First thing I want you guys to do is to bow your heads. And I want you to understand this relationship. You, you may be here, you may be married, you may have an understanding of the marriage relationship, but you may not have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that you've surrendered your life to him. You are his body, you are the bride of Christ. And this is how he loves you, this picture of what we just saw in Ephesians 5. Jesus is... Jesus is not like your earthly husband. You may be married or married before and your husband fails you sometimes. Jesus will never fail you. Never. He's always there. He's always good. He's always faithful. He's always true. And he loves you desperately. And maybe today you need to bow your knee to him and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And in that moment, he becomes the head. And he leads you and guides you and he lays down his life for you. He sacrifices for you and everything he has becomes yours. You become a co-equal with him because you become one in this union. Because we need his love. If you're lost in your sin and you haven't bowed your knee to him, you haven't surrendered to his lordship, I want you to do so now. Don't wait another moment. Whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, God loves you. Jesus is there drawing you. And I don't know whether you've prayed or prayed to receive him as Lord before or not. But if right now where you're standing, you recognize that he's not master, that he's not the one leading your life, that it's you. You're living according to your own flesh and desires. Please surrender your heart to him right now. We're gonna pray a prayer. I just encourage you, just everybody, let's just close our eyes for just a moment. You pray this and you mean it with all your heart. You become a new creation. You enter into a union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He'll be with you through this life, and even once you take your last breath, he'll be the first face you'll see in eternity. Just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I recognize that I am lost in my sin. I repent for trying to do things my own way, to live life according to my own desires. I repent, and I put that behind me. I recognize my need for a savior. Jesus, you chose me, and today I choose you. I believe that you are the son of God, that you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, you took it to the cross, you took it to the grave. You did it willfully out of love for me. You paid the price for the judgment I deserved. And so I call you Lord. I choose to live for you. Be my savior. I'll follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.
If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You